Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. So day four of Wimbledon and it has been full of shocks once again because we have just lost Marin Cilic, the champion at Queen's of a couple of weeks ago, a man that many of us, aka me, uh, picked as a champion here this year. And uh, no, he's gone and lost in five sets to Guido Pella, which is not something I exactly expected. But this is David Law here on the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph and sponsored by Amazon Prime Video UK, the new home of the US Open in the UK from next month. And I stand here on top of the broadcast roof. We still have some tennis to go here today, but I'm taking advantage of the fact that I have a very special guest with me here on the Tennis Podcast for the very first time, 434 episodes in. It's Mr. Ian Carter of the BBC, who used to be the tennis correspondent, is now the golf correspondent, and has been a, a big part of the coverage today. Hello, Ian. Hello, David. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's it's really it, it feels like um, yesterday that I was tennis correspondent, and then I suddenly think, and it was like 15 years ago, <laughs> and that is is very very scary. Um, just about life in general, isn't it? And how fast it it, it all goes by. Um, I'm very thankful that uh, we can. I, I still get the chance to come back here to Wimbledon and, and you know stay involved you know just for a week now because that's the that's the one regret the, the, about the the extended grass court season and the fact that Wimbledon is back a week I think this is like the fourth year of it third year of it and it, it just means I have to leave after the the second Monday because then I've, I've got to get back to the day job because we have the Scottish Open the Open obviously just around the corner but it's almost as though Wimbledon realizes that and suddenly packs in the most dry it can possibly pack in to your particular commentaries and today you've seen off Marin Cilic I mean well well listen this this is this is how it works you know in terms of the BBC commentary um basically uh, you were doing the Marin Cilic match last night and it was all going surreally yeah. two sets to love for him well, the thing is I'd seen off Caroline Wozniacki at that point <laughs> and uh, and was going home thinking well that was that was that was pretty dramatic and and poor old David's got to sit there now bit of dodgy weather around and he's going to watch a, a very 
boring. Uh, I mean, I don't mean boring. That's that's not the right. Uneventful, straightforward, straightforward, uneventful uh, contest between Pella and and Chilich. And and I was listening to you actually in the car, and you're saying, "Well, he's got this in his in, in his back pocket." As much as you're able to say that, obviously, in a sport like tennis, which, as we know, is never over until it's over. So anyway, um, this morning I I woke up, looked at my WhatsApp, and it said, uh, "Yeah, you're going. You, these are the matches you're doing, and 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 do um, just if you could do this." Uh, Chilich um, probably only be a few games. That's that's what the message said. And and having listened to you the night before, I just thought, well, I know I know Pella's up a break. Maybe it'll go to four sets. But Chilich looked so good at Queens, and you know I saw him at Queens. Uh, you obviously did, David, extensively, and he looked so good there. And I, I thought that was a, a, a victory, a tournament victory of, of of real substance. And and. You know, we know where Queens is. You can get that win out of your system in the Eastbourne week, and and devote that to to, to your Wimbledon preparation. And I was like you; I was expecting big things from from Chilich. And I, really, he he played very very poorly today. And I, I've I've got to say that a lot of when he was trying to force the the, the issue, um, he'd have what ordinarily and when he's functioning would be routine forehands, and suddenly they were going wide, they were going long. And and you're up against world class players. Whoever you, whoever you play at, at Wimbledon, at whatever stage, and I think that gap between, obviously you've got. I'm, I'm rambling now, but that's what you're meant to do on podcasts, isn't it? It is, yeah. Especially okay, this so, one. So I'm going to get I'm going to get philosophical now, right? So you've got you've got Federer and Nadal at, at, at the very top, and then in the absence of a, a fit Murray and a Novak Djokovic, we don't know where exactly where he is at, at, at this point. Then you've got this sort of amorphous mass, and and you'd put Chilich at the top of that, of that. But the gap I would suggest between him and number hundred in the world is probably narrower than the gap between him and Federer and Nadal, and and we, we've seen this in in golf, you know, and that's why I think I'm attuned to it when, in the Tiger Woods when Tiger Woods was right at the very top. We'd always go, well, where are the rivals? And it was very hard to, to really identify a rival because everyone else was, in comparison to him, much of a muchness. And I think that's what's happened in tennis. So getting back to the original point, I think in that match, when Chilich, I don't know if he got out the wrong side of the bed today or, or whatever, the biorhythms were out, the forehand was out more than it was in, and Pellin realised that. And, you know, he... Okay, he's never been as far as a third round of any Grand Slam before, but he he recognised this was his chance and actually played brilliantly. There's a strange atmosphere around Wimbledon today, though, generally. As we stand here on on the roof looking around us, there are camera crews everywhere doing their broadcasts. There are are thousands of people watching on Court 18 to our left and, and over on Court 1 as well. But if you look at the sky, I mean, it is a mixture of beautiful blue sky white clouds then some really angry orangey gray looking dark clouds which feel like a storm is on its way and and it has been incredibly humid today it people are irritable today i know i am i can tell you i'm in a horrendous mood <laughs> but uh, ian's just walking away from me a little here but is, is, is that because your mate chilich has gone out well it's part of it i mean i do like the croatians as you know being married to one i kind of have to um but the, in Croatia, they, they describe a weather system uh, called Yugo, which is when it's really hot and humid, everybody's in a bad mood, everybody's irritable, everybody's kind of tearing their hair out. And I kind of looked at Chilich and I thought, is he kind of feeling that just irritable? I mean, he, I read his 
press conference transcript after after the match, and he talked about. He said, "I just didn't feel comfortable out there." Whereas last night, everything felt right. You know, my feet felt good on the ground. I never settled, and that that's what it felt like. Yeah, and and that's what it looked like as well. And and I think that what what I what I sensed from him, and and maybe this is because it's what we expect as well. I I thought that he was. Yes, I'm. I'm not. I'm not firing on all cylinders, but it, it'll be all right in the end. You still kind of felt, well, he yeah. probably squeaked and, through. And, he, and even when he was, you know, match points down and he was saving those match points down, you thought, well, you know, Pella's arm could tighten here and, and he'll find a way through because that's what the very top players do. And I think he was kind of relying on on that, having that in the locker, having, you know, being a Grand Slam champion, being someone who's won recently on grass as well. And, and Pella just didn't allow it to happen. Um, and I think you have to give enormous credit to the Argentinian as well. Um, and I think it's also interesting that, and this is a very long and old debate and talking point, but the slowing down of the balls at, at, at Wimbledon makes it possible for players like Pella to, to bring their court craft, which would have been relatively ineffective in the old days, and actually it is effective, and it neutralised the traditional grass court strengths of, of, of Chilich. Um, and I think that's, that, that's good for the game. And, and again, you know, I, my touch point is now golf, obviously, and there's, there's so many debates in golf about what they should do with the golf ball, the fact that it travels so far, and, and so many people saying that you know, great golf courses are being ruined by this, the game is being ruined by it um, because... I know this is a tennis podcast, but... Even no, so, it's interesting. But, but the, the, the game of golf is being ruined by the distances that players can hit it. You know, they can knock it onto... You know, in the right conditions, they can knock it onto a green over 400 yards away. And this is making a mockery of the game. And I often, you know, say, look, why don't you just look at what Wimbledon did? And look at what tennis did. It, it said there was a tipping point. It was Jim Courier, wasn't it? The final that Jim Courier was in. Um, and there were no rallies. And they said, look, something's got to change. And so they, they took the, the compression out of the balls, they slowed them down, and suddenly you have this wide variety. And, and, and it has actually, that move has helped create the greatest of all time in, in Roger Federer, who can do everything. There was that clear, actually identifiable year from the year that you commentated on Goran Ivanisevic winning this title, that incredible year, to when the year later you had David Nalbandian against Leighton Hewitt in the final here and it was like a pudding. Yeah, it was. Yeah, and and maybe maybe it, 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 that was a terrible final. That was, that, that was my last final as correspondent. Or Yeah, it was. It was terrible. It wasn't a great way to go out. Seriously. No, the year before though the was, year before, was a bit special. The year before was was sensational, and and still, um, I would say in in my top two commentary experiences of, of all, maybe you know, top three, top three, and I'd hate to I'd hate to order them, but the miracle at Medina, um, and I was lucky enough to in 1995 commentate on South Africa winning the the Rugby World Cup, and and and. By a mile, my favourite favourite f- uh, moment of commentary in in tennis uh, was 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 Goran's win against Pat Rafter. It was and, and actually, I, I was thinking because we had that rain overnight, uh, and, and Chilich brought back here, it did remind me of your three day match with 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 Henman and, and Ivanisevic back in 01. I mean, 
That doesn't happen on centre court anymore, and it's not going to be happening on court one from next year because right now, the if you actually look at court one, the roof that they're going to put on it next year is sitting next to it on the floor. I walk in by it every day, <laughs> every morning. It's an absolute marvel. I'm thinking, how on earth do they get that up there? And and my, it looks very heavy. I hope they've done the sums. I'm sure they have. Um, yeah, but the, the ironic thing about that is, of course, that, that it no longer rains in this country. I mean, look at the skies now, David. They are as dark as they possibly could be, but it's not raining. So, um, and, and we, we don't have rain in this country anymore, so it's a complete and utter waste of time. <laughs> but back then, I mean, that, that match three days oh. and and you know you followed the henman years didn't you really you were you were tennis correspondent between what 97 and 2002 that was prime peak tim henman years wasn't it yeah with a little bit of rosetsky thrown in there as well and actually that the, the the very first grand slam i i covered sort of solo i came in and and sort of helped out with the team in 97 and and had very much a, a watching brief at Wimbledon and then it was right you're off to the US Open and I mean I know you go out there with with the team and uh, and it's a team well our team was me Chris Bowers did the did the world service and Richard Evans popped in and did a few commentaries it was me basically and so that was a real baptism of fire. And the reason I, I bring it up is because Greg Rosetsky reached the final there um, and, and, and was comprehensively beaten by, by Rafter. But um, that kind of signalled that things had changed a bit in, in British tennis because we hadn't had anything like that since, what, John Lloyd um, getting to the Australian Open final in the 70s. And, and you know, we'd gone through the Jeremy Bates years and all of that. And, but now Rosetsky was the, was the one and that spurred on Henman because this Canadian had basically come in to be British um, and you know that's the scenario that was going on at the time that's not me you know being disparaging of, of, of Greg in any way shape or form I'd like to stress that but uh, then Henman of course sort of kicked on and, and came up with the deeds that yielded Henman Hill um, and they were fantastic days to to, to commentate on and, and you know he'd reach semi-finals and he'd be up against Pete Sampras and you kind of knew that it wouldn't it wouldn't happen because Sampras was streets ahead of everybody else but then came that that semi-final against Goran and you thought well this is this is it this this is the chance and of course he stormed through a, a love set didn't he it was it was it was six love and uh, you, you just I don't remember um David Felgate was with us and he just said look the thing you have to remember is it it's six love but it's only one set it could have been seven six it could have been a sneaky net cord at seven at six five in the tie break and it's worth exactly the same thing as steamrollering and I thought to myself well no because you know Goran is combustible and you know to be bageled in a Wimbledon semi-final with the crowd going nuts behind Tim Henman the, the force is with Tim and then of course it went and rained god sent me the rain it as goran said yeah, it rained and it rained and it rained and it went over the, th- the three days and and of course in the end uh, tim lost it in five and you know as as a just as a journalist and as a broadcaster i think i, I th- and I, I know you you'll have gone through it with with andy murray you you just thirst for the day when wimbledon is won by a british player and 
and that was the the over and you're thinking what will I say what will I say if I'm commentating on the moment that he gets into the final never mind wins it just gets into the final um, and and the, the sense of deflation on that Sunday as it was because it had taken three days to play no roof sense of deflation driving home and the knowledge that you're going to have to work another day uh, and commentate on, all right you're commentating on the Wimbledon final that's that's an amazing experience but frankly who cares Tim's not in it and we've been that close that close to him being in it and then for for it to then unravel not, unravels not unfurl itself in the way that it did with that people's crowd have you ever heard anything quite like that because when those players walked out to to a crowd of of australians and croatians who who were just basically let in you know they could just come in and get get seats on the day amazing exactly and and no i'd I'd never heard anything like that on 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 center court i I think i'd i'd sort of heard it in a in a davis cup tie on number one court when great britain played ecuador and it was a much more sort of partisan crowd there was the famous people's sunday when tim henman played um that was in 97 wasn't it and i was i was actually off that day and i remember listening that entire final set who was it against it was against paul harhouse yeah that was it well done excellent um that entire final set equated to how long it takes to drive and you'll know this road very well david the length of the M40 down to the M25, and I remember listening to it. We were a, a, a family do up in the in the Midlands, digressing, and it's irrelevant, which is silly. Um, anyway, so but we're going back. So the noise, yeah, and that was the moment when when the the, the depression lifted, because you know you're only human, and we knew what we really really wanted from that final. And Henman against Rafter would have been a winnable match for Henman. No doubt about it, and and we we hadn't got it. And then you heard that crowd, and you saw the players come out, and then you saw the athleticism, the raw emotion. The I mean, even long before we got to the dramas with the match points and the balls and the, all of that, and the and just the way that it, play, it played out, it was a slow burn to those moments that you just suddenly thought, "Hang on, this is this is it. This is special." Yeah, this is sport at its very finest, most dramatic, theatrical, you name it, it had got the lot. Talking of matches that, that that have got a lot of drama, I mean, I don't know whether whether the Wozniacki one could be described as that from yesterday, but the one you commentated on a year ago with Rafael Nadal and Gilles Muller, I, I mean, like I say, you don't come here for that long anymore, but boy, do you pack it in, and that one, I mean... It just felt like it was never going to end. What, what, what are your memories of that? 15-13 in the fifth set it was. 15-13. Uh, my, my memories of that were... Oh, above anything else was just the, the privilege of, of witnessing um, someone play the match of their life. And Gilles Muller did that. Um, Nadal didn't do that much wrong. He might not have been right on the very top of his game, but he wasn't far off it. And, of course, he went there as the French Open champion, resurgent, fit again. And, again, completely unexpected result and huge drama through that, that final set. And you, you go into those matches thinking, well, I'll do a few updates here. I'll probably commentate on the end of the sets and, and that'll be it. And it'll be three, maybe four sets. You, you never know. And that's fine because I've got to go home. I've got to pack. 
Uh, I'm off to the Scottish Open tomorrow, followed by the Open Championship. My, you know, my Wimbledon that period is in terms of you know, the, the highlights of my 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 week uh, or my year, and um, and then all of a sudden you're you're there till late into the evening, and you're thinking. Sarah at home could you do some packing for me and uh, and and let's let's enjoy it let's revel in it and to to this day I, you know I'm I'm very lucky to to go and, and commentate on golf and and the great moments at Ryder Cups and at Open Championships and Masters and that sort of thing but when you get a, a really close tense exciting uh, tennis match that where where there's a, a shock on the line as well. It doesn't get better than that. Uh, Davis Cup ties and, and uh, are the same, uh, and, and commentating on that head to head and getting into the rhythm of the match and, and being able to develop into that rhythm of the match as well. Because I haven't done that many full matches, um, you know, since I stopped being the tennis correspondent. So that was the great thing from my point of view. I could get into the rhythm of it. Uh, it was me and Mark Woodford, and we loved it. We, uh, we had we had an absolute ball. And, and huge sympathy for, for Nadal, but I, I think he would accept. He shared in something, again, very, very special. Yeah, Muller was on fire that day. Now, just, just quickly before you go, we, we, I'll be coming back on to, to round up the rest of the, of the results of the day. Carl Edmund is currently on court at the moment as we speak, but you've just come straight off centre court where Johanna Conta's Wimbledon has come to an end. What, what were your thoughts? I mean, she lost to Dominika Sibylkova, who looked, oh my goodness, she played well. And she really had the bit between her teeth, didn't she? Because... She wasn't explicitly saying this in her post-match interview, but she's been fueled a little more, I think, by being pushed out of those seedings by the Serena Williams elevation. Yeah, and I think um, she played a, a wonderful match, and she played like someone with a point to prove. Uh, I don't actually sympathise with her on the seeding thing. Um, if you, you know, make sure you've got a seeding by by playing better that solves that problem but uh, aside from that she did she played with, like she, she had a point to prove uh, she was a class above Joanna Conta I, I, I'm afraid to say um, clearly she's she's not got the form of, of, of last year I think she's perhaps been worked out somewhat by by the rest um, it does happen doesn't it it, it does and, and Judy Murray was, was was sort of hinting that in, in our commentary and in, in just in the sense that when you suddenly become a threat and you make Grand Slam semi-finals as, as, as Johanna did last year then coaches take note and they work out what you do and they work out the patterns of your game and, and that has to be part of the, the evolution and that's, what, that's why when you look at people like Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal and Novak Djokovic and Andy Murray and who've just been at the top for so long their games have evolved they, 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 they could they don't, and, and it was to me. It's fascinating um, listening to guys talking on the on the commentary, just saying, you know, would would the Roger Federer of 2018 beat the Roger Federer of 2008? He'd give him a heck of a game, wouldn't he? And and that's because the game has evolved, and he's evolved with it. And and people are having to second guess him all the time. Whereas I thought Sybil. Sybil Cover, there was no guesswork about it. She knew what was going to happen there, and uh, and, and there was a, a, a brief rally in the in the second set from from Conta. She did have a break point. She snatched on it. She couldn't take it. Uh, it was it was a net point. She was in there, and and a hand tightened on it. And maybe now she's sort of dropped out of the top forty and a little out of the spotlight. She can regroup, and I think that's what she needs to do. 
she's not got so many ranking points to defend now and that pressure has, has been lifted so this might be a turning point but at the moment it's a downward spiral I, I don't think anyone can can dispute that and and it's a bitterly disappointing result for a semi-finalist last year to go out in in round two yeah it means that Conta will now move outside of the world's top 40 having been seven in the world a year ago and and really feeling like a grand slam threat wherever she went well she doesn't right now she's only won a couple of matches in grand slams over the past year so her Demise means that Kyle Edmund, as things stand, as we talked, she was the only person left in the singles from Great Britain. I'll come back on in a little while to tell you how he got on and uh, to round up the rest of the day. But Ian, absolutely lovely to have you with us here on the Tennis Podcast. Always great to talk to you, David. Thank you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel. And Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live and you can watch on your phone or on your smart TV in HD. Sounds great. There's genuinely nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere. And can I just sit and watch court shows in Longland all day? You sure can, David. Wherever the stories are, the rivalries emerge and the generations clash, you can watch it all with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Be there when it happens by subscribing to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. So we're now a couple of hours later and Kyle Edmund has just played his match. Tim Henman is here on the roof, having just done his Six Love Six show with John McEnroe on BBC Five Live. Kyle Edmund, what were your thoughts, Tim? Really impressive. Um, You know, he's got pretty limited grass court experience at Wimbledon. Um, Only won one match coming into the event this year. Um, Up on centre court against a qualifier match that, you know, people felt that he um, could and should win. And he went out there and put in a really solid performance, Um, you know, winning straight sets through to the third round, set himself up for a big match. He's done what he needs to do so far, hasn't he, Kyle Edmund, John, but Novak Djokovic next. Well, part of the reason why you get to the top 20 is you get more favorable draws, and I think that he's benefited from that. But now he's got a big step up and a big ask. And Novak, hopefully, you know, for his sake, he wants it. And uh, he's got that hunger back. We'll make it tougher for him. But he looked like he tweaked a knee or something. So that should give Edmund some more hope. But, you know, this is his least favorite surface. I think he's had his biggest struggles on this court. 
Uh, he should be happy with the third round, but you know he can't. You know he, he go out and give a hundred percent, let it fly. I mean he's had a great year so far. He's legitimate. People respect him in the locker room, so we'll see what he's got to offer. Djokovic isn't quite what he was. No. I think that's fair to say at the moment, at least working his way back. Do you th- do you both think that this is a winnable match for Edmund? I mean. Would, would Djokovic have to be well short of his best? It's winnable, and uh, Edmund obviously beat Djokovic on clay in Madrid, but he goes in as a heavy underdog. Um, you know, when you've won four Grand Slams in a row um, <clears throat> and been world number one, there's pretty much only one direction you could go. And, and uh, you know, Djokovic's form dropped off dramatically, but uh, he's now moving in the right direction. Um, you know, for me, if if they played ten times, I think... You know, Djokovic would probably win eight, but, um, you know, he's got to see whether Kyle can cause the upset. What do you think? I think pretty much the same thing. I I think that it would be highly unlikely he's going to win this unless Djokovic is hurt. Uh, I think he's got too much experience and um, he's going to expose his weaknesses. I don't think Kyle likes moving forward. I think that uh, he's going to pay for that against uh, Djokovic and I think also he gets a lot of more balls back on the return I mean he hasn't he, it seems like he's serving like Isner right now but I don't his serve's gotten better but it's not that big and I think that uh, he's going to have to deal with a lot more returns John Tim I'll send you off into the night but just as a final thought 10 years ago Nadal Federer are we going to get it again I think there's a good chance um, the people that I felt could uh, prevent that from happening Chilich was definitely one of them um, he's out of the equation I think Raonic um, could prevent uh, Federer in his half of the draw given how well he's serving uh, it's been hot the conditions are playing relatively fast in the bottom half of the draw Del Potro is the one that uh, I think can really upset Nadal but uh, you know I still think there's a distinct possibility and I think there's a lot of people that would like to see that Including myself, because even though we're pining for the next American and hopefully there's close to being around the corner, the last six majors have been won by these guys that we weren't sure are going to win any more of them. So we've got to enjoy this moment, and it would be absolutely spectacular if these guys played one more time in the final here. You're a romantic. Will it happen? I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that as a yes. Tim. John, a pleasure as always. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you, you, David. Take care. All right. John McEnroe and Tim Henman here on the Tennis Podcast. And uh, as they disappear off into the night, the scores are fascinating just at the moment because as well as Carl Edmund having come through and Novak Djokovic, as John and Tim were saying there, did tweak a bit of a knee. He has said in his post-match press conference that, he's, that he feels okay. He got it checked out. He was a little bit concerned, I think, just initially. He got some treatment on that knee, but I think he's going to be okay. At the moment, the upsets, well, we don't know whether it's going to actually be an upset in the end uh, with Garbina Magarutha, but she has just been pegged back to one set all with Alison Van Oetven. And uh, I'll keep a close eye on that and, uh, and might have to just come back again at the end. So I'm now inside the press room, sitting next to Simon Briggs at the Telegraph, as all of the Telegraph journalists are typing away like crazy because we have just had another enormous shock with the departure of Garbinia Magarutha, the defending Wimbledon champion. She's been beaten in three sets by Alison Van Oetvank. We've just been told uh, by Simon's colleague, Sam Dean, who's covering this story at the moment, he's writing away uh, about that story for tomorrow's paper, so you'll be able to read that in the Telegraph tomorrow, that she was really just knocked off the court. She had a, a slip during the match as well. She looked as though she was discombobulated out there and uh, really couldn't get anything going. I mean, Simon, that... We've had a lot of shocks already at this tournament, but that is just an enormous one, isn't it? 
or defending champion and not necessarily Van Oetvenik. Van Oetvenk. Van Oetvenk. I don't know how to say it. Not somebody that I particularly saw as a submarine waiting to take out a big name. Um, so that's, what, 14 of the top 32 seeds gone in the women. Um, I think 16 as we speak gone in the men. Wow, I mean, it's, it's incredible, isn't it? And we've also just had Alexander Zverev go two sets to one down against Taylor Fritz as well. And I don't think you even saw that one coming. I mean, you're having a look at the screen at the moment. I mean, there's <laughs> so much to look at and, and, and talk about that it's hard to believe it's happened. That one has been suspended overnight for bad light. Taylor Fritz is somebody you featured in your, your big preview, didn't you, at the start of the tournament and uh, the young guns coming up. I mean, suddenly he's delivering. Yeah, actually, I, I really enjoyed talking to Taylor Fritz. Um, some of the Americans, the American reporters, were surprised because they, they found him quite hard work. But I asked him about gaming. Um, in America, that means gambling. Over here, it means PlayStation. Um, and he loved talking about PlayStation. He said he wanted to become the first professional athlete to also make money from eSports and that he, can, he reckoned he could be a professional FIFA player on his console. I mean, have to do that after he's beaten Alexander Zverev if he can. But he won the third set in a tie break, so they'll come back tomorrow. We've also had Stefanos Tsitsipas win through as well, I believe. So that's another one of the young players you featured. And TFO? TFO's still there as well. I mean, it's all happening, isn't it? So Simon Briggs and all the Telegraph journalists are writing away for what you'll read tomorrow. But yes, shocks galore. Another fascinating day in store tomorrow. We'll be back with more uh, on the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph and sponsored by Amazon Prime Video UK, the new home of the US Open in the UK. We'll be back with another show tomorrow. We're daily throughout uh, Wimbledon, of course. We're executive produced by Melanie Bowes, Triple S, TennisBalls.com, sponsored by uh, La Manga Club. And, of course, our ferret is Charlie. He's our mascot. See you tomorrow. 